0: The views expressed by your hosts, Austin and Landon are not necessarily the views of Lincoln Financial Advisors. Backbone Planning Partners is a marketing name for registered representatives of Lincoln Financial Advisors. Now let's lean in as Austin and Landon connect with this week's tycoons.
1: Good afternoon, tycoons and welcome to today's episode of Tycoons of Small Biz. I'm your host here as always, Austin Peterson. Coming to you from a remote location, I can't tell you exactly where, but Lehigh, Utah is as far as I'll go. I don't uh, I don't need anybody showing up and busting down the doors, if you know what I mean. But uh, excited here, excited to have our guest on the show today, Kevin Black. Before we jump in and talk about Kevin and have Kevin kind of introduce himself, if this is the first time you're listening to our podcast, my co-host and partner Landon Mance and I host this podcast. We've been doing it for about a year and a half. We really enjoy doing it. And it's a business podcast it's by small business for small business landon and i both are small business owners we have parents and grandparents who are also small business owners and it kind of runs in our blood and we we truly believe that the backbone of the american economy is the small business owner And so we put together this podcast to highlight those small business owners and give them a a platform to kind of share their stories. So with that, we definitely have a tycoon of of small biz on the the podcast with us today. Kevin Black is the principal and founder of Black Market Leadership. Kevin, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you so
2: much for having me, Austin. I'm very, very excited.
1: Yeah, Kevin, we're excited to have you here. We we have kind of a pre-qualification meeting with all of our guests. You know that. You were there. Um, And we, we love your story. Landon and I are big supporters of the military. And so just your military background is enough reason for us to have you on the show. But uh, regardless with, you know, in addition to that, I should say uh, with what you're doing with black market leadership and the book coming out and so forth and so on, I think you're going to have a great story to share with us today. So Before we jump to the business side of black market leadership and what it is that you do there, why don't we start by having you tell us a little bit about you personally. So tell us where you grew up, tell us a little bit more about your background, the military side, Uh, are you married? Do you have any kids? You know, Whatever you'd like us to know about you personally.
2: So uh, I'm a veteran army officer who one day read Iron Rand and decided to do something productive with my life. And so after uh, four years of military school, a VMI and six years of active duty, really 10 years in uniform, Austin, I came to the realization, I just never liked taking orders from people. So I just said, no more, I'm not working for the man. And uh, mm-hmm. I decided to take my knowledge and expertise of, uh, of leadership and strategy, things I learned from the army. Uh, I left as a captain and my last job was a war planner. So I took that knowledge and expertise and I was able to convert it, uh, it for the private sector. And so I've been doing this since 2005, uh, being a, uh, gosh, I say, leadership expert, executive coach, but most of all, a strategic advisor. And my and what I do is I help leaders and teams rapidly, rapidly improve their performance to help drive strategy from the ground up, especially during times of rapid growth. And uh, I think as you and uh, uh, you and Landon know, I, one of the things that I do is I use computer war gaming. So uh, that's uh, things that I took out of the Army, things that I did for fun. I was able to combine them. And uh, just if there's any, if they, anything biographical about me, you'll probably hear this, but I'm originally from Georgia, so I still say y'all and dog, but most of all, I'll say because. Uh, my girlfriend of, uh, of 11 years says uh, because, and I assure her, it's because. People are for causes, not causes. So we put a B <laughs> in front of it, and I'm, I'm good to go.
1: I think what she's really wanting you to say is, I'm ready to put a ring on it, would be my guess, is what she really cares about. I think after 11 years, I've seen some signals.
2: I've seen some signals somewhere. (laughs) Oh, let me add one more thing. We have four dogs. We have three Australian cattle dogs and American dingo. So I got to add that that's our family.
1: Yeah, of course. Yeah. And I I won't get you into too much trouble. So I'll I'll stop with the marriage talk because I'm guessing she'll listen to this later. So I'll let it lie at that point. So the military gaming side for me, I think is, It's very interesting, right? I mean, the the reality is today, I'm not a gamer. I've got a 21-year-old son who loves to play video games and and that's way very normal today for adult men, especially to play video games. But regardless, I think all adult men, regardless of your age, you kind of have this draw to the military and those types of games and the CIA and spies. And, you know, we've got all these movies that are out there. You know, I tell my wife all the time, you you just think that I own and operate a financial planning firm. I'm actually in the CIA and have been for years, right? And so when I'm traveling, I'm actually out there doing spy work. And you just think I'm out there helping people with their financial futures. So, you know, it, it's something that I'm drawn to. And, and that's what I think is really cool about this is, it's a, it's a cool way to get executives engaged in what they're trying to do for their companies. So tell us more about that.
2: Uh, I totally agree. And uh, yeah, a lot gaming is so, so I got to separate, I got to separate this for the audience. Gaming is extraordinarily, extraordinarily popular. I mean, gosh, call of duty, I think is like, I think it takes over a hundred million dollars to put all this operation together. It's incredible. So what I do is I use a, 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 an old off-the-shelf game. Uh, it's, called, it's what we call real-time strategy. Now, I'm, I'm, really exp- I'm really going to emphasize this. Real-time strategy is a big-picture kind of a computer game. It's almost like risk on steroids, meaning you have to go out, uh, you have to create a nation, you have to build an economy, you have to build a military, you have to do intelligence work. It is extraordinarily strategic, big-picture. What most games are today, they're very tactical. We call them first-person shooters. And, you know, you got the Xbox, and the guy has got there, he's got his shoulders, his his back is concave, he's leaning into it. Those games are fun, but in in terms of business, they're very dangerous because they put you naturally at the tactical level. They put you in the trenches. And for something that I do, working with executives, there's nothing worse than getting a, a senior executive in the trenches. They have to be able to learn to step out and let the other people do that work. So when I use a real-time strategy game, we bring executives in. And I think I told you our first big client was a small company called LifeLock. We brought the executives in. And my goal was to actually help educate them on how to strategize and how to lead under pressure. You might be a commander and we'll have four or five people on your team. I put you away from the game. You cannot see the game. You can hear it, but you can't see it. I'll give you a mission. You have to bring your team in. And what happens is you only only have a couple of people playing it, but you have a staff. In essence, you're making like a big game of telephone, except you have to strategize. What's our economy? First of all, what is our mission? I might give you a mission to capture 75% of the gold on the map. You'll find people who will will put a huge, huge amount of labor and making a plan to, we're going to put four armies here, this, this. It's enormous. You'll find other people who are like, you know what? We're just gonna kill the enemy. We'll kill the enemy and we win. So you see people's risk tolerance. And the great thing about using this kind of that kind of model, uh of the war gaming, as I would say, is that people's natural strengths come out. They really see how they are in the boardroom. Believe it or not, what you do in the gaming comes out. So it's a way for you uh, I call them Dr. Phil moments. It's you know, it's like, hey, Austin. You know, you're crazy. What are you talking? You know, you would say, what are you talking about? I was like, look, look at that video behind me. And people are like, oh my gosh, that's me. Cause you really get to see it and experience it. So when you put people in this team dynamics and they work together under real time, you see how they communicate, you see how they plan, you see how they talk with one another, how they, how they respond to when they lose control. All these things are so applicable to corporate America. And the great thing is when you do the war gaming, you're doing a safe environment or uh, what stays in the, like Vegas, what stays in the room, uh, what happens in the room stays in the room, but you can fail, you can learn from it, and it doesn't cost the organization millions of
1: dollars. Yeah, I think, I think it's a very unique and great way to, to do things and I, you, know, you hit the nail on the head and it's something that Landon and I see in our practice day in and day out is that the leaders of the organization are drawn to and want to be in there tactically doing things rather than taking a step back and setting the strategy. Because they built it from the ground up, typically they started, so they had to do everything from the get go, and then it's really hard to get them out. And so we, you know, we talked. Then you're talking about leadership and, and helping them grow to the next level, which you know we address with our clients as well. But for us, it's really saying that's the only way that you will grow to the next level, right? If you don't step out and view yourself as an investor in this business, that's providing strategic leadership rather than the person who's doing it every single day, day in and day out, your business is going to plateau at some point. And so you've, you've got to get them to that point where they're accepting of that and ready and willing to step back and let others do the day-to-day work.
2: Uh, no, I totally agree. And in fact, I would say uh, this goes to the, the concept of trust. But for one, one of the things I get to do in my work prior to the gaming is I get to do behavioral profiling. Uh, we use... Uh, we use the best, the best tool out there. And it tells me three things about you. It tells me who you are. It tells me how you're role-playing or masquerading, meaning uh, the Austin I'm meeting right now may not be the real Austin. So it shows me who, who that person is and also gives me a, a six to eight week snapshot of your stress levels. So I know what's happening in your environment to stress you out. But going to the idea of trust, though, what you find is there are different behaviors uh, who have... You know, Trust is a very general concept. It's actually more nuanced. There are certain behaviors like myself. I'm a take charge kind of person. Trust to me is if you can get the job done. And I, will, I want you to win. Guess what, Austin? I'll take casualties. I'll take casualties, but I want you to win. There are other people out there who would cringe at that. There are some people who we call high conformists. They're about quality. This is your, your typical CFO or your CT, your, your chief and uh, C, CIO or CTO, people who are about quality and accuracy and detail. To them, trust is about ensuring quality. We're not looking for a 70%, 70% solution. We're not looking for a 95% solution. We're looking for a 99%. And then there are other people also who are about, uh, they'll trust you if you make good relationships, that you make work fun, that you're not there becoming toxic. And of course, and finally other people who trust you, if you plan, if you do things right the first time, if you, if you work with those people, those are the things they're looking for. They probably don't articulate it that way, but once you do a profile, people understand who they are, then all their decision-making and even their relationships, it makes so much sense.
1: Yeah, no, no doubt about it. And, and, you know, there, there's not one good type of leader, I guess, is is the best way to put that, right? There are great leaders that have all of those different character traits that you just mentioned. It's just understanding what it is, who you are as a leader and who the people you're leading are as people who work for you so that you can get the best out of them and you're giving them your best as your version of a leader.
2: Uh, I totally agree. You know, uh, I get people asking me all the time, what's the secret to being a great leader? I'm like, it, it's knowing yourself and knowing your team. There is no secret formula. There's no secret. There's no behavioral type, which makes a great leader. The fact is, you, first of all, you, you got to want to be a leader. Uh, you have to be willing to take the responsibility, but you got to know yourself. Uh, you have to know what your natural inclinations are. You have to know those of your team because just because I'm fast paced and I'm loud and obnoxious does not mean my team is. It doesn't mean that they want to go to that fast pace that, that, you know, for me, a 70% uh, solution is fine. We'll make it up as we go. You got to know your team. Other people will cringe. They'll pull their hair out. So you got to know yourself, the team. And finally, you have to know the conditions of your mission. What are you doing? If you're in a startup company, you know, market share, grab you know, a land grab, that, that's probably the priority. And if that's the priority, speed, speed over accuracy is usually uh, uh, desired. But if you're in a very mature company and you're competing on costs, I say being slow, you might say being methodical and deliberate. <laughs> <laughs> you see what I mean? The, even the language matters. you you got to know the, the nature of the mission, yourself and your team. If you know those things you are very, very well placed to to li- really be a
1: success, I think. Yeah, it's it's funny that you, you used the word deliberate and said that I may use that word, I, I actually used that very word with some clients yesterday. And it was a husband and wife, the husband is, they're both doctors, but the husband owns his own practice with two partners, and they recently sold a portion of the practice. And the wife's concerned saying okay we got this portion of money today but if it doesn't grow to what it's supposed to if we make some decisions today what's that going to look like you know and and i said we we will we will be very deliberate i might have even said deliberate and methodical with the way that we make these decisions because we're going to kind of play this wait and see we believe that the practice is going to grow to this but we're not making decisions as though it is growing to that we're going to make decisions year over year over year as we see more evidence that it's growing to that rather than making decisions that potentially put you guys in a tough spot you know later
2: yeah that's a very deliberate uh you know one, one of the things i get to do in my work is uh i love doing is i get to connect leadership to strategy and uh this is one thing that's really overlooked today you know we think of leadership leadership in, in corporate america I think some people think of hr or you know some kind of leadership training but that's totally different from corporate headquarters making strategy but the fact is they're completely connected and in strategy uh, i just find this fascinating and this actually goes to what you're saying there are really two there's really two fundamental mental models there's what we call the deliberate and the emergent and it's based on one question can you anticipate the future if you say, yes, I can anticipate the future, then you fall into what we call a deliberate strategy. That means we're going to make a strategy five years from now, five years out, we're going to hit objective A, B, C, D. It's everything that's going to flow because we know what's going to happen. We've, we've had this linear path, almost like we're going down the road. And what happens is when you have that kind of mindset, you don't need leaders. You need managers, people to oversee process, to oversee, to make sure we have compliance to the very details. But I think it was McKinsey who came out with a report a couple of years ago that said 90% of strategies today fail or fail to actualize. Why? Because things change. And oftentimes you cannot anticipate the future. So that leads to what we call an emergent strategy. Instead of having that one linear lane, A through B to C, D, and E, you have instead a highway. And you have to be able to shift lanes. Now, if you're talking to someone, like you said earlier, who likes that deliberate, methodical approach, they'll probably like, that sounds like you're making it up on the go. I'm not paying you for that. We need a long-term, and you got to realize that sometimes, especially with that emergent strategy, the value of leaders is being able to have situational decision-making. Since we can't anticipate the future, we know we're going to go on this general area, this general path. But we need someone like you to make the, the call. Do we go to A, B, and C, or do we skip B and go to C and D? What makes sense given the conditions? And that's the real value of leadership in terms of, uh, I say, the ROI of leadership is improvisation. But there are certain behaviors out there that they would, they would say, hell no, I won't accept that. I want to know where we're going from now to five years from now. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think I think people's mindsets are, you know, some are in one camp and some are in the other camp. And, and it's not that either one is right or wrong. But I think that what, if, if anything, over the last two years, what we've learned is that you don't know with certainty what the future holds, right? Because you asked me three years ago, I would have never told you that we were going to have a worldwide pandemic and what that was going to do to business around the country and the stock market and you know, the economy and supply chain, all those sorts of things. I, I wouldn't have been able to tell you that. And we've seen it, unfortunately, in our country that the businesses who were so rigid and unwilling and or unable to change lanes, like you said, it have really struggled through this. And those that were willing and able to change lanes, some of them have have not just survived, but they've thrived in this, op- in this particular economy and what's going on with this, quote-unquote, chaos.
2: I totally agree. Uh, you know, the game is to those who can adapt. And, you know, the challenge is you have to find people, I think, that are, um, I call, intellectually honest. Uh, they have to know what they're really good at and what they're not good at. And if they're not good at something, it's, you know, it's like a division of labor. Uh, you know, I'm not a chef, so, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I order my, my meals out because I don't have the time or I don't have the expertise. Uh, I am great. I am very good at execution. I am good at new ideas. I am not good at planning and you wouldn't want me to plan for you. So why would I take that on my shoulders to do it? So as an executive, I think you got to really know again, what your real strengths are and your team, your team has your team is, is, are a bunch of people who have talents, their assets. Maybe you have someone on that team to help, help you do that. And again, when you find a bunch of people who are experts, it's hard to take them out of the expertise so they could be managers of other experts, but uh, it takes people who are intellectually honest and who are willing to say, "You know what? maybe I don't know what maybe maybe it's just not worth my time. Here's my general guidance. This is what we should, should be doing. who's the right person to do this? let them do it, and then uh, and then you can adapt it, it's, it's those easy steps in my experience if you do those easy steps, you know the game is yours.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah, I agree. I wanna say it was Ronald Reagan. I could be completely off on this, but I want to say it was Ronald Reagan that said, hire smart people and let them tell you what to do, rather than hire smart people and tell them what to do. Right. And so I could be off on it being Ronald Reagan, but I feel like it definitely fits with what he would have done as a leader for sure. If I remember I think Henry Ford had on his was on his tombstone. He
2: I think it said he who surround himself but with smarter people. I think the section of his tombstone. You got to do it. And, and again, this, this takes what I call, I call adaptability. Sometimes I call it maturity. Uh, You really have to realize that you have people around you. It is your rational self-interest to use the people around you. They have talents. Let them actualize that. Let them get success at it. You don't have to keep all, all these things on your shoulders. You can let them do it. And by the way, if, if everyone's a if everyone's a success, you'll be a success. But the team fails because you didn't utilize your resources. Guess where the blame goes?
1: Yep. Yeah, exactly. I just I just started re-listening on Audible to Good to Great. You know, they talk about that where there are certain leaders who, when everything goes good, they want to take all of the credit for it going well, and when everything goes bad, they want to shift the blame to the people who work for them or the market conditions or you know whatever it is. And in that book, they call them level five leaders. The level five leaders. When it's good, they're giving all of the glory to their team and, and luck. And when it's bad, they're taking responsibility for all of it.
2: And I tell you, it, it benefits them. It really does. I mean, you know, it's almost counterintuitive, but there's a, there's a rational self-interest and in, in, in spreading, giving out that, that, uh, that glory to your team. Uh, there, you know, I think it's an old Greek saying it's, uh, victories. Victory has a hundred fathers. Defeat has, is an orphan. <laughs> you know, <laughs> no one wants to take it, but pass up the victory. Yeah, you do that. You get people engaged. They want to be with you. And I would tell you, uh, I said earlier that, you know, the return on investment, and at least my perspective is improvisation. If you want people to take risk, to go above and beyond just their, their normal duties, to adjust to the environment, to all these new opportunities and obstacles, you need them engaged. You need them to trust you. And how do you do that? When the glory comes, pass that stuff out. I mean, God, even Napoleon said, "Uh, you know, if he had a if he had a million medals, he'd give them all out." You always want to make sure that your 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 people are happy, that they want to be there, because if they're there and and doing the things that need to be done without you directing them, you're going to be a success in the end.
1: Yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. It's, it's it actually reminds me of something that these same clients last night the, the husband said, and you know. They've they've made this partial sale. And so he received some cash from that sale. And he wants to do something nice for some members of the team that have been with them for 20 years as they've built this medical practice, right? And it's a it's a small token in in the grand scheme of things, but it matters to him, right? They don't have any ownership in it. They don't, they didn't receive any cash from this, but he wants to give them a cash bonus for sticking with them for the past 20 years. And then what do we do over the next five to seven years while we build out the rest of this, of this strategy. So it, it, it is, it's, a, it's an important part of being a leader, I think is being willing and able to recognize what others do for you and, and reward them for it. So I have a question for you.
2: I, I have a question for you, Austin. And, uh, because when you're somebody popped into my head, there's an old saying, and I, have, and I tell you, the past five years, I really learned what it means. What's, it, it is uh, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. I, I'd be very curious, in your experience, what does that mean to you? Or are you, Did you learn that the hard way? Because I, I, you can probably tell where I'm coming from. I've had a lot of people who I've wanted to support, and, I, and I've given them the tools and methodologies. Just do the, a, a to B, A to B. It, it'll totally work and it's you know i get the i get the deer in the headlights stare you know they nod yeah and nothing happens
1: yeah it's i mean i think i've i've struggled with that over the years i've been a little bit um surprised by that in my career it it's it's shocked me because i'm not built the way that so many other people are built right and and so i think back to gosh it would have been probably 15 years ago or so uh, I was doing exactly what I do today, financial planning. But at the time, I was receiving so many requests for advice about their mortgages. Should I refinance? Should I buy a new property? Should I buy this land? But you know all those sorts of things. And so, at the time, I set up a mortgage division of our financial planning company. And we had at the at the peak, we had, I think, fifteen loan officers who were doing. of these loans so it wasn't just our financial planning clients but we started to go out and market to other you know other people to try to to drum up business and it just shocked me that you've got these loan officers who are working on a commission only basis and i had to push them to make phone calls to get out there to do things to close loans and i'm thinking the fact that you don't eat or that you don't get paid anything without doing those things, in my mind, should have been enough of a motivation, right? I led them to the water, I provided them the leads, and they weren't doing what they needed to do to to go out and actually close the deals and and make some money. So uh, I think that's probably the, the biggest story in my career to where I learned, you know what, everybody's not built the same way. And some people aren't cut out to be a commission only loan officer in that particular instance uh, they still have value but you know ultimately what i ended up doing is letting them all go and hired three assistants and had them handle the the basic stuff and then i closed the the loans with the clients you know
2: that that kind of um that really reminds me of of roles to behaviors uh, I mentioned earlier about you know doing behavioral profiling and, and you, you know people have a natural we call it your natural self that that's something that's really been molded by the time you're six to eight years old. It be, really, who you are now is it's who you've always been. It's just now a question of experience. You know, uh, I've I've always been loud like this, but uh, you know, you're probably tell the army I had to tamp that down and I learned how to. Does that mean I don't want to? And one thing that I've learned is especially if you're going to be successful, even in terms of strategy, you got your strategic goals, fine, but who's doing it, who's leading it, and why? And if you don't clearly define what's needed and then match that to the right behavior, uh, you could find people who have the appearance that they'd be perfect for the job. But it, you know, it, it's almost like asking someone to take their dominant hand with a pen in it and then put it in their non-dominant hand to start writing. It's so awkward. It's so weird that even though in front of their face, you 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 could be making money right here. They just don't do it because it's so uncomfortable. Now I know behaviors are an element of that. I'm sure there's psychology in it too. I just mentioned that because behavior is the one thing we always see. Psychology is really, really hard and it's a dangerous territory to get into, but uh, it's just shocking that you really have to know who you're working with because even though people come off one way, if you know who they really are, it'll make a difference in in uh, your expectations, I think.
1: Yeah, I, I, there's definitely truth to that. I've seen it. It's something that I've gotten better at over the years, but certainly continue to work on and, and try to be better. I think my biggest weakness is I expect too much out of people sometimes, and I think that they're going to do it the way that I would do it rather than there's another way that can that it can be done and it'll still be just as efficient and effective it's just i need to let them do it you know their way so to speak
2: yeah yeah i hear you i hear you i yeah. think we all go through that
1: yeah so i want to get into the the book and and chaos a little bit but before we do that let's take a quick break and we'll we'll have a call to action for our listeners and then we'll we'll come back and talk about chaos in your in your book coming out Please also follow us and then message us on LinkedIn for your no obligation, informal valuation of your business. We look forward to hearing from you, and thanks for listening to the Tycoons of Small Biz podcast. And now, back to today's program. All right, welcome back, Tycoons. We're here on today's episode with Kevin Black with Black Market Leadership, and we've covered a lot of ground already, Kevin, but I, I want to talk about your book and specifically the topic of chaos. So... I think anybody who owns a business and has built a business specifically in the startup phase, but I don't know that it really ever goes away is it really is chaos. A lot of times you're, you're really trying to, you almost feel like you're herding cats sometimes to, to make this business, you know, grow and and be what you want it to be. So tell us about the book, tell us why you chose to write about chaos. And, and, uh, I, I think you've got a lot of stories to tell or different, uh, things to let us know about what it's like, uh, you know, publishing a book and, and so forth. So take it away.
2: Well, uh, well, so yeah, so right now the title, the working title, uh, is, uh, strength through chaos. I have an agent and an editor and I am, I am at the point now, uh, I have 15 chapters, 62,000 words. If you'd asked me last week, I would like, Austin, 95% there, my friend, 95%. And then two days later like 90% there Austin 90% I had to add a whole new chapter because I realized a huge hole <laughs> in my in my thesis so I, I gotta tell you just first of all writing a book it is first of all it for me, I have a hard time sitting down and, and concentrating you know writing a book takes precision i'm a I'm a shotgun kind of guy I like to blast ideas, the film on the wall it takes a lot of precision so um, it's been a lot it's been the hardest thing I've ever done without a doubt. But it's also been the most rewarding because I'm to the point now where I sleep at night. I dream about my book. When I wake up, the first thing I think of is the book. When I go to the office and I listen to podcasts, all these ideas like, oh, oh, oh. So as of right now, I am uh, I am near the final phase of editing. And what I have to do then is send the manuscript to my editor. And the rule is you got to make sure my manuscript is this is what you think is a plus to your editor and so then my editor slash agent is going to do her job with her team and then simultaneously i have to write a book proposal that's a 30 to 40 page business plan for your book how these publishers will make money from it and by the way some of these major publishers for your audience here if you're ever interested in getting published uh, the minimum, you, ha- you need a minimum of 10,000 followers on LinkedIn. They won't even look at you without 10,000. And then you need some other social media. Again, they want to know that your face is out there, that people know who you are. It's been a lot of fun. It's been hectic, but I got to get this thing out. But I- I'm very, very happy. It. So, why chaos? My behavioral bias. You could probably tell just the way I am. I like chaos, or at least I've lived in it. A- I'm very comfortable in chaos. Wh- the one thing that really drove me to writing this is. Uh, whether I was a junior officer in the Army, being a rifle platoon leader, having 40 soldiers underneath me, to being a consultant, you know, I've worked with big companies, uh, Medtronic, uh, McKesson. If there's one thing that really stuck out to me, really the the catalyst was that leaders today, most leaders, most leaders I have met, are not prepared for chaos at all. In fact, you're trained in a sense just, we're going to think this way, we're going to communicate, here's the template, do it. You ever go to a training session, Austin, that says, hey, your plan's going to go to hell in the handbasket in the first five minutes you start. What are you going to do? <laughs> so I, that's my goal is to, is to provide a guidebook, not a philosophical book, but a guidebook about how to, one, think about chaos, to realize that chaos is natural. It is absolutely normal. And we all really straddle the line of chaos uh, every day, especially if we're growing in our companies. So one is understand chaos. Two, understand why people act the way they do around chaos. For me, for my behavior type, when chaos comes, I seek dictatorial control. Get out of my way. I will do it myself. I don't care what you think. I'll do it. Some people will shut down. They won't talk, especially when you need their voice. Uh, some people will go back to the drawing table. We got to replan, replan everything. So. What I'm doing is I'm hitting these general trends of, of how people act under chaos. So that that's a second element, second part, why people act the way they do. But the third part really is the guidebook, is how to, what are the major things that you can do to not only minimize chaos, but even capitalize on it? So I, I really give about, as of now, 30,000 words, a checklist, guides of how to think, how to cri- uh, think critically, think in the essentials how to break down, um, analyze your mission, how to communicate vertically and horizontally, how to communicate that directly attack, attaches to your strategy. But even, even when you communicate, how do you plan? How can you plan for contingencies? And I, t- and I take a real formal planning process I learned in the Army. And then finally, how do you focus? You know, when chaos comes, there are, there are a lot of distractions, things that are just begging you, or just enticing you, Come Peter, come Austin come this way don't worry about what you're doing come this way how do you not only do, how do you stay focused but how do you keep the team focused so that really in, in in a nutshell is what strength through chaos is it's about knowing what chaos is knowing why people respond to it the way they do and what you can do to actually master that sucker
1: yeah you I know mean, obviously in the military you know you think about being in a firefight or you know different things like that and that's that's truly chaos and you've got to stay you know, grounded and, and focused on, on what the mission is and what those contingency plans are that you set in place ahead of time, but then you still have to also be flexible to deviate from those, right?
2: I would totally agree. The only thing though, the one thing, because being a veteran, there are a lot of books out there called about VUCA, um, you know, that's uh, Volatility, unser- uh, uh, Uncertainty, I think it's Complexity. The business is not the military that's one thing that it's kind of like a canard that a lot of veterans like to say, you know, it's like battle. No, it's actually not battle. It's actually much more boring, much more boring. I mean, you ask <laughs> any, any combat veteran, most battles, you know, it's, it's 23 and a half hours of boredom. And it's, it's five minutes of actual intensity. that changes your life. So I think in business, it's much more difficult uh, because first of all, you have to create the systems, the feedback loops, you got your strategy, you're moving forward, you know, how do you know it is moving forward effectively? How do you know your people are engaging? Because remember, when uncertainty comes, and it always comes, you got the fog of war, which is the gap between reality and expectations. We have friction, the accumulation of unwanted events. You know, you hire Joey over there. He's your star marketer. He just quit. He's going to your competitor now. Hey, that mission's still going, Austin. you got, you got to keep going. What do you do? And th- those are things that I really, really try to focus on. And in fact, uh, I've identified as of now 13 what I call control factors, 13 real basic metrics that if you do them, you are going to minimize or reduce the effects of chaos. But a lot of companies don't. And what you find is that chaos is not just disorder, it is a pattern, a cumulative pattern of, of uh, these control factors. Uh, whether it's communication, whether it's planning, whether it's feedback loops, uh, clarity of purpose. If you don't hit these, uh, if you really don't hit these control factors, I have seen even objectively what I call a cascading effect. It's it's like skiing downhill. It gets, that snowball behind you gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And what happens is the longer you stay in those uh, degrees of chaos, the harder the choices are you're gonna have to make in the end, the more drastic they are. And ultimately, you hit the bottom, you know, not only are you, are you seen as incompetent and your reputation is ruined, people are leaving, they're going on glass door, just trashing you, your brand is destroyed. So the question is I want to provide that kind of objective criteria say to for companies to say, I know people over here, Austin says we're in total chaos. Sarah says this is nothing. Where actually are we? Can we objectively measure it? And to give you an, an indicator, if you hit these three or four there's probably a big snowball of not fun heading your way.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that, you know, that's, that can be one of the key reasons to have some outside consultants that are involved with your company from time to time in different areas, right? Cause they could they come in and they see it differently than anybody else does. Everybody internally sees it through their own lens and your lens is different than my lens would be. And whoever it is, every member of the team sees things a little bit differently in their, the way that they view the world, but then also what their tasks are can also dictate the way that they see how the organization is doing overall. So that outside perspective can be can be a key factor for sure.
2: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And I, I would add one thing: that you need a strong uh, chief executive officer. You need someone who's going to put people's feet to the fire. Uh, just bring you know, bringing in the the people with the information and recommendations is one thing. But having someone to act on on them is really another. And I got to tell you, this idea of, uh, you know, people having different perspectives and you can see even silos, uh, you know, I know we all experience it in in small businesses, but let me tell you, if you look at history, uh, gosh, the first Gulf War, I I just read a book about it's called Margin of Victory by uh, Douglas McGregor is actually my last guest on black market leadership. And this guy was, uh, if you ever watched Tucker Carlson, he's on there like every week. And he wrote his book, Margin of Victory, talking about the the first Gulf War or Iraq part one, as I called it. And we have the greatest military, the best soldiers, uh, supposedly the best generals. And you have the Navy, the Air Force, and Army. not even coordinating, working with one another. It's almost like marketing and sales, doing their own thing. Uh, that's just ingrained in them. They're almost like mini institutions. So... You really have to have a strong leader come in, and I don't mean just you know, in terms of charisma, but someone who's willing to make the hard decisions. Uh, if, if they have to cut payroll, if they have to cut, they got to cut. But the job is to survive as an organization. And the longer you stay in the and and those factors of chaos, the harder those decisions will become, and the greater the need for a stronger uh, leader.
1: Yeah, no, no doubt about it. I think that's that's really the difference between. we talked about this earlier, right? There's all these different styles of leadership. And so there's, there's plenty of leaders in every category of personality and all those sorts of things. Anybody can do it. But I believe you said they've got to be willing to be a leader and being willing to be that leader means that they're willing to make those tough decisions and to live with the consequences.
2: That's exactly right. I, I, you know, it's funny. I, I, there's so many people there talking being a servant leader. Well, guess what? If you're a chief executive, you're, you know, you have a fiduciary responsibility. You are there to make sure that that ship named after your company does not sink. And uh, you treat your people the best you can because you need to replicate success in the end. But you have a responsibility for that organization to the shareholders, to the people who have invested their life. Yeah. You know, you're there, (laughs) you have to win. And that's why, uh, you know, I did an interview about military history a couple of weeks ago, where, and someone was asking about the Civil War. I said, if you look at the Civil War, the American Civil War, our best generals were killers. They were killers. And you couldn't say that today. Like, you know, our generals, we, we neutralize the, the enemy. Mm-hmm. Uh, those yeah. guys back then, would just, you know, they would beat the hell out of the enemy and kill them. And why am I saying this? Because they recognize the nature of their profession. They're there to win wars. If you're a chief executive, you were there to uh, to ensure that your shareholders, people who again invested their life, uh, their life savings, their money into your organization, who giving that trust, they get their return on investment that they're owed, that they're due. Uh, you have responsibility to do that, and if you're not doing that, you're not doing your your uh, return on investment.
1: Yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. So you mentioned the podcast that you've that you've got going, Black Market Leadership, and you know your most recent guest. So. Tell us a little bit about the podcast. What's the audience like? And and you know, how does it relate to what you do as a company? So black market leadership. Uh <laughs> first of all, I, I I
2: gotta tell you that I could not believe I, I got the name trademarked. Even my my attorney couldn't, she's like, You got this trademark. <laughs> she, she couldn't believe it. Leadership is such a ubiquitous, it's, it's so broad, but I got it, black market leadership. And uh, the reason I even came up with a name, well, obviously my name, Kevin Blacks, I needed something like. I was like, "Blackbook sounds too. Didn't sound very good. Didn't sound very appetizing. <laughs> so, black market leadership." But um, I wanted I wanted this name because truly, I am I, I like disruptors. I've always been about disruption. And guess what? Disruption causes chaos. So it kind of goes back to me. It's my bias. But I've always been interested in people who stood up and on their own or with help or whatever, but who stood against the grain. So uh, I created the podcast a year and a half ago, and I have had. Uh, I, I can't tell you, I, it's been so exciting. I have had uh, uh, Douglas McGregor, again, who's always on Tucker, I had Carol Roth, she published a book. Uh, she's a New York Times bestselling author, published. It's The War on Small Business. It is a great book. It's not about how the government misused our money during COVID. It's about the government, the, the larger federal government, is destroying purposely small businesses. She, by the way, is always on, she is a regular on Fox Business. Michael Scheuer, this is a guy who was the CIA's anonymous he wrote a book uh, in 2004 which I read which is about the war on terror uh, in fact his writing was so good that even Osama bin Laden recommended to the world that we read his book about the war on terror of how we're not fighting correctly so I've been very uh, I've been very fortunate uh, people like the idea of disruption I wanted to go against the grain I, I'm tired of uh I just After 25 years in this industry, I just haven't been, it's too much fluff. I was like, is there any grown up stuff for leadership? Is there there anything that, you know, uh, executives or people who are founders who want to do something exciting, is there anything that they like to listen to? And so I've actually found a really cool audience. And my next guest, which I have, well, I can't say yet, but pretty big, pretty big. So it's it's exciting.
1: That's awesome. Yeah, we'll look forward to uh, to checking it out and and following that as well as, uh, you know, the rest of your career and getting ready to uh, get the book published. So I'm looking forward to to reading it myself and and seeing what I can glean from that, because we we've been at this for 20. I've been at it for 20 years. Landon's been at it for about 12 or 13. And so our business is pretty established but there's definitely still chaos we have conversations about you know we're a pretty small team what what would happen if we if we lost our practice manager for example who by the way is a, a West Point grad right so i mean how how lucky are we to have a West point grad who manages our practice day to day and keeps land keeps landing and eyes ideas that are you know all over the place uh very well organized and and on track so we're lucky to have you know both of our staff members but uh it just but the fact that you've got the the military tie-in and she's a West Point grad, I mean, she probably should be president of our country not, right now, not the practice manager of Backbone Planning Partners. So it's uh, it's exciting. So tell us a little bit about, you know, the the business itself. I mean, what does your ideal customer look like? Who is it that you're that you're trying to help at this point. I mean, you've mentioned LifeLock, which you know was smaller when you worked with them, but now they're a very large company. You've mentioned Medtronic and McKesson; those are large organizations. But what does your ideal customer look like? Who who is it that Kevin's looking to work with on a day to day basis?
2: Well, I actually have again. Thank you for the question. I appreciate. Yeah. it. Thank you for the interest too. I, I trust me. I can't wait to get this book out of my head and on paper. Good lord, <laughs> get, get get it out of here and get it published. Because of COVID. I learned to adjust. So I actually have two customers now, uh, right now, I, I'm, I'm a strategic advisor. So I do the gaming, uh, as a, as, as an executive workshop to align your executive leadership team. I work with rapid growth companies. Those are the companies I really enjoy working with because guess what? Lots of chaos. And I'm like, Hey, I got tool bag guys. I got tool bag. We can do this. So I put them through the workshop and, uh, um, uh, do the behavioral profiling, and then we take that template from the gaming and actually apply it to their actual corporate strategy. And it's a, it's a lot of, not just fun, but it's extraordinarily helpful because when you put everyone on the same, you put everyone in the same simulation, you're seeing and hearing the same thing. You have a central reference point. Uh, and I gotta tell you, that's a really, really big issue. In the military, no matter where you come from, you go through basic training, right? You have the same experiences especially as an officer, you get the same kind of training. Literally you and I could be X and Y completely different people, but we learn to speak the same language. We learn to think the same way. And I don't mean necessarily uniformly, but if you say attack, I know what that means versus a defense or an assault. We, we even know, like, if you're, if you're in that kind of position, this is what you're going to do. So when you take, that kind of common education, it's much easier to work with one another. That is not true corporate America because you bring people in with completely, completely different backgrounds. So, when you have the war gaming, when I bring, when I work with these executives, it allows people to speak the same language, to actually visualize what it looks like to drive forward and not be distracted, to hit those strategic milestones and ha- how to map it out. So, one, uh, one bucket of my clients are. Rapid growth companies. I've worked with the company now that was seven years ago, twenty million in valuation. Now our revenue now they're 120, so they're they're really growing. But the other thing I do is I have BlackMarketLeadership.com, and during COVID, I was like, hey, everyone's doing stuff online. I really can't do the workshops online. So how about I make videos? I make some training videos and educational tools, and I, and I have a subscription-based resource. So that's why I do. Right as of now, we have fifty hours of material, of downloadable material, and I have uh, uh, new certifications coming out. It's a lot of fun. And the one cool thing about working with Black Market Leadership, my, my client are really emerging leaders, managers. Basically, hey, you want to be an executive? Do this now. Do this now, and uh, and uh, get your education that you probably that hopefully you'll get in twenty years from, uh, from now. But one of the cool things I get to do is I get to analyze Netflix movies and series. I called um, Tailored Coaching. And instead of reading a, a business book, we actually go through and analyze these movies. And I tell you, besides the gaming, I have had, never had such a higher engagement score. People love watching these series and pl- picking apart, dissecting characters like, oh, my God, that's John. I work with that dude. I know. I know exactly what that is and by doing that you get the emotion you get the feeling and and it really teaches you i can take this material it's totally applicable and i can take it to work and actually have fun doing it so that's i hope that answers your question
1: yeah no absolutely i think back to when i went to business school and i got my mba and i i went through an executive mba program so i was owning and operating my business at the same time and and was able to kind of implement some things that i would learn the night before the very next day, or, you know, I do the same thing with my Vistage groups now. And so I'll go and meet, you know, in Vistage and then implement something the very next day. But most people don't have that luxury in business school. And so, you know, you go for a couple of years and then you've got the degree, but then trying to implement it later doesn't work as well. So these types of things that you're talking about, whether it's watching a Netflix series or a movie or whatever to learn certain things and then implement them the next day, not to disparage our uh, educational system, but I think that it's a better way to learn and implement in business than than going and getting an MBA personally. Oh, no, please
2: disparage it. Please go <laughs> ahead. I'll, I'll disparage <laughs> it. I remember my, I did the MBA and uh, I uh, I did a course on entrepreneurship. And I, I remember telling the professors, like, hey, and the, this professor was this, was this, was this gentleman who, had, had been previously a success, I think. And I had said to him, like, hey, we should be watching Shark Tank. And, and you, can, he, I felt like I think I offended him. He's like, why? I'm like, look, these are pitches. Look how they're doing it. And people can see the response. You go up there with an idiotic idea, they're going to laugh at you. You know, they will tell you an NBA course. <laughs> so yeah. well, i watch it. And I, I got to tell you, the one thing about doing tailored coaching is it's been so much fun. Because one is, there are movies out there which are, you know, they're categorized as leadership movies. Like I watched uh, Miracle with uh, Kurt Russell. Fun mm. movie, really bad script. And it's just, it's about one dude. You don't get to see a team member. So I'm like, ah, you know, I was yelling, you know, 1980s. We uh, were beating the dirty commies. But it had really little value. But you're going to laugh. Probably the greatest show that I have seen that I did a 20-hour dissection of it with a partner of mine. Was the People versus OJ Simpson the series on Netflix? It's called American Crime Story: People versus OJ. You want to see lessons and behaviors and strategy and team dynamics? The prosecution, which takes that deliberate strategy that you and I talked about, you got the the dream team, the defense, who are all these are all the type A guys. And the assumption is they're going to eat each other up. Oh no, they have inner chaos. They argue, but boy, they come to an agreement and they. They're flexible, they're agile, they make mincemeat of the prosecution. And to just watch these personalities go back and forth, you see this every day. And yep. uh yeah, it, it's a, and it's fun, it's engaging. It's not reading a business book. You know what I mean?
1: Yep, absolutely. I think anybody in America could say if it doesn't fit, you must have quit, right?
2: Oh, oh, and you, you gotta watch the scene how he came up with it. it it's it's yeah. beautiful. And okay, so I, I just gotta add this, add this in. Going back to behaviors, when you watch the prosecution on Marsha Clark, she is focused on the facts, the facts of the case, because to her, the facts will sell. But I had a friend of mine, a friend once told me, uh, facts tell, stories sell. So when you watch Johnny Cochran come up with this, he's talking to regular people. He's talking as if he's in church. And you realize the impact. I mean, you know, if you're talking to a bunch of engineers, maybe those facts, the way Marshall was doing, it would have been good. But he's talking to his jury, a regular Joe out there, and he hits it. He hits the nail on the head. Great example. Great example of making the right message to the right audience. And you see the ramifications. What happens?
1: Yeah. No doubt about it. I I think we could talk about that forever or or just, you know, really the approach that you guys take. So I I really appreciate the conversation. I appreciate what you brought to the table today, your, your enthusiasm, the energy that you brought, which obviously makes it much easier as a podcast. host. so I appreciate that. So I'm going to leave it with you to say, just reiterate where it is people can find you if if they're uh, in the market for what it is that you do.
2: Well, I appreciate that, and uh, please LinkedIn. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn, so Kevin Black, 1999. You'll see, I got the. Uh, you'll know, you'll notice my photo. It's a uh, anyway, red background. Uh, I'm sure you'll find it on the bio here. I have two websites. If you're interested in learning more about uh, potentially aligning your team and getting ready to be disruptive or to overcome chaos, check out my website KevinBlack.co. That's co. dot com. That's the country singer. KevinBlack.co, And then there's of course blackmarketleadership.com. Check it out. Uh, I mean, for it's for a subscription-based company or business, you get a lot of a uh, lot of free, a lot of material. I usually interact two hours a month. We have events. Uh, it's a lot of fun. And frankly, uh, I'll say this. If you're below the age of 42, you should be doing black market leadership because I you we can help you accelerate your learning a lot faster than uh what a lot of companies are doing probably a lot faster some business schools. As a business school grad myself, I can tell you
1: that it's a fact. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I will second that. And and I think you don't, you know, it doesn't take a genius to look at me and realize that I'm over age 42. So maybe I can still squeak in at that blackmarketleadership.com subscription. Kevin, we really appreciated having you on the show today. We've appreciated the conversation as I mentioned and look forward to following your uh, your career as time goes forward. Hey, Austin,
2: thank you so much. You, This is such a great show. I, I really appreciate uh, the invite and having me on. Uh, great conversation. So again, thank you uh, to everyone listening. And I hope everyone had a great, we'll have a great 2022. And I don't mean 2020 to
1: 2020. Yeah. <laughs> Amen, brother. Thanks for being here. Thank you.
0: You've been listening to Tycoons of Small Biz, proudly hosted by Austin Peterson and Landon Mance. Austin and Landon are comprehensive financial planning professionals specializing in financial, estate, and succession planning for small business owners. Austin and Landon have offices in Scottsdale, Arizona, and Las Vegas, Nevada, and represent clients in 14 states throughout the country. Join Austin, Landon, and the Featured Tycoons live every Tuesday at 1pm right here on Business Radio X and your favorite podcast platform.